are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Avatar, The Way of Water, which came out in 2022 and was directed by James Cameron. It stars Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, Sigourney Weaver, Stephen Lang, Cliff Curtis, Joel David Moore, Edie Falco, Jack Champion, Britton Dalton, Jamie Flatters, Trinity Bliss, and Kate Winslet. The genre would be sci-fi family epic. This is our home now. This December, you do not know the sea. We will learn your ways. A warrior becomes a father. His family is our fortress. And an old threat becomes a new danger. If you are watching us, we have been brought back in the form of our enemy. With their size, their strength, their speed. Outstanding. Jake, we must protect the people. Avatar, the way of water. Experience it in 3D. If it is possible for a film to partially collapse under the weight of high expectations, well, this movie might be a test case for me, because I love James Cameron, and I loved the original Avatar. I saw it eight times in theaters, and I feel like I could recollect each scene in succession for every film he has directed since his breakout in 84 with The Terminator. Aliens, previous episode Aliens, is of course my all-time favorite film. The Abyss was an obsessive rewatch for me for quite some time. I know his movies inside and out, just about every beat. And as much as I enjoyed this epic sequel, I gotta say, some of it felt very familiar to me throughout. Despite an overall plot, which does go in some interesting, somewhat unexpected directions towards the conclusion, lending it some freshness in the end. Props for pulling off multiple emotional through lines at the same time involving children and the relationship to their parents. I mean, Cameron is just too strong of a cinematic showman to not know how to close things out strongly. And towards the end of this movie, he just played me like a fiddle, as I expected him to. The problem being that at the screenplay level, this might be his clunkiest film since True Lies. And I'm not just talking about dialogue. I'm talking about structure. Again, True Lies is a film which I really enjoy. I saw it multiple times in theaters. Its highs are very high. It makes you tell the truth? Mm-hmm. Is it working? Ask me a question that I normally would like to. Are we going to die? Yep. I'd say it's working. They're going to shoot us in the head. Are they going to torture us to death? But it's also likely at least 20 minutes too long, and it suffers a bit from trying to tell two concurrent stories at the same time, and then awkwardly mashing them together in the third act. Now, I dig Big Jim, but sometimes the guy just does not know when to quit, thus resulting in a film which could have likely been pared down by 20 to 30 minutes. That is an issue with this film, as there are probably a few too many characters to follow. And sorry, but I could not always tell them apart. This film had my undivided attention for its entire 190-minute-plus runtime. But if you asked me which of Jake and Natiri's sons were which, which is the older one and the younger one, I couldn't tell you for much of the movie. I think there's one who forms a bond with a whale, well, sort of, while the other one strikes up a romance with the daughter of the water-based tribe's chief, who is nicely played by Cliff Curtis but I honestly could not tell the two brothers apart until a key moment in the climax of the movie. Hey, maybe that's just me. Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to the nuances of each actor's motion cap performance, but it's still the first time that that kind of thing has happened to me with a James Cameron film. 
And the True Lies comparison also feels a bit apt because for the first time since that film, which came out in 1994, the overall story structure of a James Cameron film just isn't as sound. I mean, we are cutting back and forth among different narrative threads, mainly different character point of views. And sadly, the seams are showing a bit here. I mean, we're with Quaritch's crew, then we're with one of the sons, then we're with Jake, and then we're with their teenage daughter, Kiri, who is played by the always reliable Sigourney Weaver in a strange bit of casting, because she's playing a teenager, which actually worked better than I expected. So what is it? I feel her, Dad. Feel who? Awa. I hear her breathing. I hear her heartbeat. She's so close. She's just there. The story felt jumpy at times, just kind of lacking the bruising, propulsive, and in a good way, forward momentum of films like Titanic or the first Avatar. Like I said, the conclusion of this film definitely pulls it all together. But the story feels like it takes on an almost episodic nature from much of the midsection leading up to that. And beyond that, as an avid fan of the film and a Cameron diehard, wow. (laughs) Maybe it was just me, but it feels as if he recycles so many snippets of dialogue from the first Avatar movie. And just kind of random stuff, too. Like with the sort of return of one character who repeats the phrase, Get some. Now, if it's intentional fan service, then, well... Why? (laughs) I mean, even for those who love the film, we're not waxing nostalgic for when one character ironically utters outstanding at a critical moment in that first movie. And possibly small quibble here as well, but there are action beats in this movie which feel like direct homages to sequences from older Cameron films. I definitely noticed kind of a greatest hits reel of obvious action beats from Aliens, Titanic, and The Abyss at the very least. Now, again, we are talking about an iconic filmmaker with a very limited filmography here, so it might have just been easier for me personally to notice. And James Cameron, of course, would not be the first to do this, either. It's not even the first time that he's probably borrowed from a previous film, either. The mech suit in Aliens probably walked so that the mech suit in Avatar could run so many years later. That said, I did like most of the characters, and I might even observe that the acting is generally better this time around, in this movie. Sam Worthington was fine in the first Avatar, but he's playing a more lived-in character this time, and it suits him. His Jake Sully is a father now, and an established leader this time around, who has nothing but tough decisions to make. It brings out a new dimension for him, along with several effective moments of Pathos' first character, which are on display even better, with even better motion capture for the sequel. The facial expressions of all of the Navi are just improved across the board, including Zoe Saldana's Natiri, who had to do so much heavy lifting with just her face for that previous movie. And not that she wasn't compelling in that movie too, but she just kind of raises her game even more with better technology. And of course, from a visual standpoint, this film is spectacular. I had the privilege of seeing it at 48 frames per second, 3D, and to call it immersive is an understatement. The new creatures and environments that we are introduced to are wondrous, often astoundingly photorealistic considering that so many of them were just entirely created from scratch, and the action sequences are next level, as you would expect from Cameron. And even though it does feel like he's recycling some action beats, it still feels like he's elevating them. And we see this on full display through several impressive underwater sequences. I mean, filming underwater and portraying things underwater can be so tricky, but that is never the case here with such impressive depth of field where nothing is fudged. 
There is one extended underwater sequence of cat and mouse between some key characters and some villainous poachers who are hunting for them, of course. I mean, it's intense. And the action is so well integrated into this environment that the results probably rival anything that you might have seen in Jaws or Das Boot when it comes to pure underwater tension. Just for pure spectacle, Avatar The Way of Water more than lives up to the hype. And this brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. The late, great James Horner composed the score for the first Avatar film, and I love that score, even though it did admittedly recycle some musical themes from his older scores. And he was replaced by Simon Franklin. And his score, Simon's score, it's fine overall. It even brings back some key themes from the first movie. But for me, the musical highlight was actually hearing the vocal stylings of one of the film's stars, Zoe Saldana, who I wasn't even aware was a singer. Yes, she actually sings in the movie as Natiri during one emotional scene early on and one even more emotional scene towards the end. Her character is, of course, singing in the fictional language of Navi, and it's pretty gorgeous. She, of course, did this in collaboration with Simon Franklin, who produced this. The track is called The Song Chord, and it's also featured on the soundtrack for the movie. Check it out. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Oh yeah, do you know that Oscar winner Kate Winslet is in this movie? Yeah, one of the premier actresses of her generation was flown to New Zealand to spend several months underwater wearing motion capture equipment. And apparently during filming, she actually set records, worldwide records, for the length of time that she was able to hold her breath underwater. Wow. She did this all for a prominent role, well, what was supposed to be a prominent role in this movie, as one of the members of the Metkayina clan, who are the ones living by the water, who are eventually joined by the Sully family. And could I tell you who she played? One line of dialogue that she had? One moment where we got to witness her incredible acting talent? Nope, not at all. Which is a shame. She plays Ronel, the pregnant matriarch of this tribe, and I do remember her character at least getting in on the action in the third act. But that's about it. Now I get that when actors are performing motion capture, you're not always going to recognize them under the digital makeup and the props. But come on, Big Jim. It's me talking here. You're hiring Kate Winslet, who gave the best performance in one of your biggest and likely your most acclaimed movies to date, Titanic. The movie that won you all those Oscars, remember? If you're hiring her on board, give her something memorable to do. Otherwise, it's just a waste. This brings me to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Even though this film features no shortage of impressive set pieces taking place underwater, my personal highlight was actually one that takes place above water late in the film. What this sequence also demonstrates is that with high frame rate 3D, you can bring a clarity towards action taking place at nighttime, which I don't believe has been accomplished before. Now, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's one exciting action sequence where we see Natiri basically stealthing her way amidst a slew of flames and water and heavily armed bad guys in the dark on a boat. And she's dodging gunfire while taking them out one by one with bow and arrow. 
There's slashing and there's jumping. There's flames all around. There's arrows whizzing right past us, meaning the audience. And now, as much as this might sound like cliche, you really do feel at times as if you are there. Saldana just sells the hell out of it with such abandon. You could almost mistake her for a blue, more feral version of a horror villain, akin to Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers. Definitely one of James Cameron's most impressive action sequences. And seriously, that is pretty high praise. This brings me, of course, to the final category, which would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Overall, this film does work, because as much as it's geared towards spectacle, Cameron, with co-writers Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver, has told an emotional story of a family struggling to stay together while adapting to a starkly different environment. He keeps it relatable, even with all the blue people. All of the major story beats land, despite some awkward connective tissue between them. Now, it's not Cameron's best film, nor is it even as good as its predecessor, but it's still blockbuster filmmaking at the highest level, even when his screenwriting isn't quite up to par. Nobody else on the planet would have attempted this, basically crafting an entire new world for the big screen and then expanding upon it, all the while toiling for more than a decade to get it right before it hits the big screen. For once again bringing true vision to the art of filmmaking during a time when so many other directors are just kind of settling into existing IP, James Cameron is the MVP. You know, I think I think people want to suspend their disbelief. They don't want to sit there and pick away at it. You know, they just spent whatever it is, 16, 17, 18 bucks to, to go have an experience. They're leaning in, you know. So there's a there's a kind of almost a, a contract between the between the movie and the audience. We're all just going to join hands and skip off to Pandora together, and it's going to be fun. My rating for Avatar The Way of Water would be 3.75 stars out of 5. <laughs> yep, in case you couldn't tell... I was slightly disappointed by this, but I still dug it. And about the high frame rate format, the 48 frames per second, it's been a point of controversy. And I've seen many critics online stating how it just does not work for them, which I can get as it can be jarring to sometimes feel like you're watching a photorealistic version of a movie, a live soap opera, if you will. It even sometimes felt like that to me, at least early on, but I got used to it and I would highly recommend this format. And I certainly plan on seeing this in theaters again. And of course, if you're looking to watch Avatar The Way of Water, it is now playing in theaters, where it should be seen on the biggest screen possible. And that ends another Omatakayan review. Special shout out to my lovely wife Marlene Gershon for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter Ella Gershon for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Cinema.